0: Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, welcome. If you have your Bibles, however you get them, whether old school book form or new school electronic device, go ahead and open your Bibles. You know where we're going now. We are, uh, three or four weeks in. And, and I, I got to looking at these, these passages and all of this and I, I began to think, oh man, this is some tough stuff for us. Talking about suffering last week and, uh, you know, uh, returning to that love that we had at first. There's a, there's a lot of challenge in this. This is why some people think that John's letters here, the, these uh, letters at the beginning of the book of Revelation, are very prophetic. Prophetic is not about foretelling the future. It's about foretelling the word of God in challenge to the church. And so that's important for us, and I got to thinking, oh man, this is going to be a while, because we're not quite to the halfway point. So, are you guys with me? Are you ready? Should we dive in today? Okay, let's go. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 12, verse 12 through verse 17. And again today, because this is the words of Jesus to the church, then and now, let's stand and receive this. This challenge, this word from Jesus to us today. If you're joining us online, you stand right where you are and let's hear the word of the Lord. From Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write. Now remember... We're talking about angel. If you're just joining us as your first Sunday, that angel is that, that ethos, the personality of that congregation. And Jesus right off the bat, back in at the end of chapter one, says he holds the seven stars. And he tells us that those seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The whole church, the complete church, Jesus holds the ethos and embodies the personality of what church is to be. And that's what he's talking about. And so he's speaking to these these personalities of the church. And so he has one today for Pergamum. And when that personality veers off from what he holds, what he embodies as the personality, the ethos of the church, he calls them back and corrects them. He praises them when they're on task. He corrects them when they're off task. So here we go. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food, sacrificed to idols, and practice fornication. So you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give a white stone, and on that white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Don't worry. We'll do some explanation here. It's the Word of God. For the people of God, and our response is, "Thanks be to God. You may be seated strange, strange words from Jesus through John to us today and we 're going to get into some of what this means and I was trying to think about how we do this there's a lot of Old Testament reference uh, in this passage um, we're we're not so comfortable with what john does often with the old testament in fact the book the revelation uh, uses the old testament more than any other book in the new testament and the the part that's difficult is that when we we're so used to if you're writing a research paper and you use a, another source you have to come on english teachers what do you have to do You have to cite it and reference it. And sometimes he does that in a way. He quotes directly something from the Old Testament. But sometimes he just weaves in themes and he doesn't leave any reference for us. And so it's really imperative to kind of know your Old Testament and to know the themes of the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scriptures in order to kind of make some sense of that. So we're going to try to do a little bit of that. But as I was thinking about this passage in particular and what it is saying to us today, it made me think of my love-hate relationship with these guys. Now, love-hate, I love them because I know some really good people who drive them, right Matt? Good friends, right? Fist bump. I understand that so much commerce is is done, and things are transported in. To, you know that our our Myers grocery stores wouldn't be full if there weren't these guys and ladies who drove these things down the highway and got them stocked. And and all the goods that we have, a lot of it comes on truck. Even if they move it on trains to move it from the train to the store, it's got to go on one of these things. So that is my love. My hates. Aside from on a two-lane highway when one's going 55 and the other's going 56 and just has to change lanes. And for the next 10 miles, keep everybody backed up. My love-hate relationship, the hate part of it, comes when those little things bounce off of the trucks and come up into the windshield. Like, I had one happen a few years ago. I was uh, just right here on 94. I was going going towards Battle Creek and uh, came up to one of those trucks. And I think it was one of those gravel trucks, you know, the, the ones that carry this stuff intentionally. And all of a sudden, something bounced and came right. Like, it was coming straight at me, and it was so large, I actually flinched in my car like this. And it, bang, sounded like a... a shotgun going off on the windshield now it only left a little one not something like this but you know you just get frustrated when you see that when you're driving down i'm just on the freeway i'm minding my own business i'm in my own lane and bam something falls off the car you'd like to avoid this time of year it's a little bit different it's not big rocks bouncing off freeways that that drive you crazy it's salty mist that adheres to your windshield over and over and over again. And if you let it go long enough, it looks like this, doesn't it? Can you drive with something like this? Now, some of us try to. Some of us try to. Maybe I should say, should we drive with something like this? No. This week, I had, I had the opportunity. A friend of mine was speaking at a conference in Chicago And so I took the day off and I I drove over to Chicago. And it was one of those days where it was snowy. And it's one of those days where as you get closer to Lake Michigan, the snow gets a little heavier. You know what I'm talking about? And you make that left-hand turn to go south around the lake, and I was coming around towards Lake Michigan, and I was in a a particularly heavy band, and I was behind some semis, and so I was getting the double salt spray that was coming up along with snow, along with all the mixture, and you do what you're supposed to do, right? You turn on the windshield wipers, and it just began to kind of smear things. And, you know, I, I don't know if you do this, but uh, I thought, oh, well, it's just not making good contact. Maybe some snow and slush has made it. So you do that thing where you roll down the window and you hit the wiper. And when it comes up, you try and grab it really quick and flip it. Have you done that? Am I the only weirdo? And so I said, I'm going to do that because I need my windshield wipers. I can't see with the salt spray that's going on. And so I roll down the window. It's freezing cold. And the, the wiper comes up and I grab it and go like that. And little did I realize that when I went like that, I actually tore off the windshield wiper and threw it onto the freeway. <laughs> so I uh, what am I going to do now? because I'm still behind these semis that are making my windshield look maybe not quite that bad, but similar. Thankfully, I was able to pull over and see that at the very next exit, there was a mire. And I could get there, like this, and buy a new wiper and get it on and keep going. Why am I telling you all of this? Because in many ways... The church at Pergamum is dealing with the highway of life and what is going to happen to their windshield. I want to let you know a little bit about the city of Pergamum. Pergamum, although it wasn't as big a city as the last two that we've talked about with uh, Ephesus and Smyrna, uh, Pergamum was the seat of power for the region of Asia, Asia in the Roman government. Their king who had once had a, there was actually a kingdom of Pergamum in the area of Turkey, and at one point he fell so in love with the Romans and the Roman government and with Caesar, that when he was nearing death, he gave his entire kingdom to the Roman Empire. And so they made Pergamum the capital. And that came with a lot of of benefits for that city. Even though it wasn't a port city, it had a lot of things going for it. Now, we hear Jesus, through John, say to us that he knows where this little church lives. And he calls it what? The throne of Satan. <laughs> the throne, the Greek word "thrōnos" of satanad. Does that sound familiar? We had that last week. The accuser. I think this week, however, he is talking about the the accuser, the pinnacle of the accuser, <laughs> Satan, <laughs> satanah. And he calls this area. Now, I want to I want to be careful here. Because again, like last week, he wasn't calling a person, Satan, we're going to see. He was calling uh, a situation, a city, and you're going to see why here in just a second. Because Pergamum, with all of the blessings that they were getting from the Roman Empire, one of the things that they had was quite a pantheon of Roman gods and altars. And they worshipped quite a few other gods in this city. One of the the main ones, because the weather was quite warm there most of the time, and it was high up in elevation, was the, the god Asclepius, the god of healing, who the Romans also called Sotiras, which means Savior. Asclepius. We also, they had a huge altar, I mean huge altar to Zeus, the god of power who was also tricky. He liked to use his power to trick other people into getting his own way. That altar also included Athena, who was his daughter, the goddess of war. And they would worship and offer sacrifices for the battles that they were going into to Zeus and Athena. And then, like the other cities that we've mentioned today, they also had quite an imperial cult that was going on. To Emperor Domitian, there was a temple who was seen to be the God or the representative of the empire and the nation. And then also Dionysus, the God of wine and ecstasy. These temples were all around, and so Jesus, through John, looks to this place and says, yes, the seat of the accuser, the throne of the Satan, Satan. And yet, in This very place, there is a little church bearing witness to Jesus. These are big rocks on the highway, these big statues and these big altars. These would have been the things that that cause you to flinch if we were driving. If we were to have somebody, if all of a sudden something was to happen where we were supposed to bow down or offer a sacrifice to some, we would get off the freeway right away. We would just kind of know. Wouldn't we? These are those big rocks that hit the windshield on the freeway of life. And we try to avoid them where we can. But it's always more subtle than this. It's always more like a salty mist that just glares over and and begins to cloud the vision if we're not careful. And that's why Jesus gives this little church the story of Balaam. He says, you have been faithful, you have clung to my name, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was murdered in this throne of Satan, this city of Satan, this dwelling of Satan. But then he begins to talk and say, but I have some things against you. So he praises them where they're on course, they've been clinging to his name. Now they're correcting them where he's correcting them where they're off course, and says, There are some of you who are holding to the teachings of Balaam. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole story of Balaam. He's a pretty intriguing figure. And if you're interested, you can go back and you can read Numbers 22 through 25. He is this mysterious figure because he's not considered one of the children of Israel. But somehow he is a prophet of Yahweh, of Israel's God. And Balak, who is the king of the Amorites, or I'm sorry, the Amalekites and the Moabites, He doesn't want these Israelites moving into his territory. So he wants to hire Balaam to come and pronounce a curse on the children of Israel. And there's a big story on there. We usually focus on the speaking, the talking donkey and all those things that are there. But the truth is he goes up and he says, I can only speak what God allows me to speak. So he goes up and God gives him a word and the word is always blessing. You think, oh, this is great. After all these stories, and there's a few different stories that that go through there, the very next story in Numbers 26, Balaam, or or, uh, King Balak, decides to send his women in, these Moabite women. And they seduce the men of Israel. And in doing that, they break their vows with their spouses, and in doing that, they begin to worship the Baals, the Baals of Peor. You can read this if you want. Now, in Jewish tradition, there are some who said that it was Balaam who, although he gave the great blessings and only put what God put in his mouth out to bless Israel, he's the one who said, but if you, if you really want to get them, here's how you do it. And this became what was associated with Balaam's name. And so, so Jesus is saying, okay, I see, you see, I know where you live, this throne of Satan, there's the the temples, there's the altars, there's the statues of the gods. You see the worship of all that's going in there. But it's not always the big rocks that you try to avoid on the freeway. Sometimes it's the subtle mist that begins to cloud your vision like Balaam did back then. He couldn't have the direct frontal assault, but he gave the idea of how you could cloud over the children of Israel and distract them and get them off topic. This is more of how we do this. In fact, he connects that again with this mysterious group, the Nicolaitans. We don't know a lot. Again, my community that I I went to and read and all those kinds of things, they have different ways of understanding. But most of them seem to think that the Nicolaitans, like Balaam, said, okay, we can take the name of Jesus and we can attach it, and we can just kind of blend in. Some of them said, well, it, it really doesn't matter. We can just blend in. You know, these these things are just for society. It's okay. We want society to be a, be a part of it. There are others who say, no, it was, these gods aren't real. And so it really doesn't matter if we just kind of go in and it's okay. I read a fascinating book this week called The Lost Letters of Pergamum. Uh, whenever I see see it three times in other sources, I try and pick it up and read read a book if I see that. And this one is interesting. It's written by a historian. It's historical fiction. So if you like that, you can you can pick this up and read it. I listened to it, audiobook. It was it was really fun, good actors. But they get back into that understanding. So you could understand the culture of the pressure, the pressure that these big gods of society put on that little Jesus community. Did you know that the first accusations against Christians in the world was that they were atheists? Because they didn't pray to the gods of Zeus and the gods of war and power and and money and and all of those kinds of things. They worshipped Jesus and their way of life seemed to say things about the society that they were living in. You know, sometimes uh, it's like that for us on our highway. We don't have the, the statues and the temples, and, and we're not called to go in and offer a blood sacrifice to something. But if we're not careful, the myths of those what those gods, those statues, those altars represented, they're still thriving and misting on the highways of our life. Is it okay for me to say that? And as we drive, even as Christians as we drive down the highway of life, if we're not careful, we can get sucked in to the health and wealth part and think that's the way God blesses, or we can get sucked into the power and war schemes of the world. We can get sucked in to empires and nations and leaders and things that we think will deliver us. We can get even in our churches, we can get to where we're just seeking after the next ecstatic experience. And if I don't get a goosebump in church, then it wasn't good worship today. See, that salty mist gets everywhere. So what do we need? Well, what Jesus is, celebrates is a faithful witness of someone named Antipas. What God is looking for in us and in this little church living in this, this, this throne of Satan area is a faithful witness. Now the Greek word for witness is the word martoros. You want to say that with me, don't you? Ready? One, two, three, martoros. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three, martoros. One more time. One, two, three, martoros. What does martoros sound like? Martyr, that's right, very good. And we associate martyr with someone who dies for something, for their belief, dies for their belief. Now, we have attached that and we have an example of Antipas, who was a faithful witness, who was, who was a martyr. We don't know anything about Antipas, other than what Jesus through John tells us, that he died for his faith in Jesus. But that's not exactly what witness or Martha Ross is all about. It is about the witnessing and sometimes the faithful witness confronts. And it's not always about confronting in a different in a way that is looking for death. Witness is not about looking for death. But it's looking for difference. I want to give you an example from a not too far past. This is Dr. Gilbert R. Mason. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. Gilbert R. Mason? Dr. Gilbert R. Mason was a doctor, a family physician in the city of Biloxi, Mississippi. And He was beginning to see the winds of witness, the winds of change in his area. And he was beginning to look for opportunities to be a witness of all men and women are created equal. And so he found in his city that was very segregated in those late 50s and early 60s that the United States government had cleared out the beach area at Biloxi, Mississippi. And yet, he, as an African-American man, and his family were not allowed to go to that beach because of segregation. And so, as a witness, as a martyros, for all people are created equal, he organized his family and a few other families to go swimming. Is that a violent action? No. But it did hold up a mirror to that part of our country to say here, all people are not created equal. And it led to what are now called the Biloxi Wade-ins, where they would gather and they would go. And it began to gather momentum both for and against And eventually, it even did turn violent. Now, thankfully, Gilbert R. Mason did not become a martyr in the way we understand it. But he was a faithful witness to all people are created equal. And if that means I have to go and organize a swimming party in order to make sure that that takes place in all of our great land, then I will be the faithful witness. And he was. This is what witnessing looks like. This is what Jesus celebrates, but then calls them out when they get off course and are not about witnessing, but are about just kind of blending in. So let me let me pause here and let's ask us, before we jump into some things, how clear is your windshield? I, I have to be honest, I was a little nervous as a pastor to preach this one. Because when you begin to talk about the, the misty things that cloud all or can cloud all of our windshields, we begin to get a little disturbed. It's actually easier to point out the big rocks than to talk about the mist that we all drive through. And so let's just pause here for a second. Ask yourself the question, how clear is my windshield on all the things that we've been talking about right now. I think there are a few things that we can do if we recognize that our windshield is pretty salty and pretty covered and we're in need of some clarity in order to be able to see the road correctly. And so let's look at those. I believe that Jesus tells John to tell us. And we begin to see this here. The first thing, if you realize that you're... Your windshield has become clouded over is to recognize and repent. Let's look at that at the very beginning of verse 16. He just says, repent then. If you see all of these, it says, repent then. Now, repenting means that you've recognized something is off. Maybe you have heard the words of Jesus saying, oh, you're just trying to blend in. What I need are faithful witnesses, not just blending in and, and going along with the gods of power and war and empire and, and wealth and health and ecstatic experiences. I need a, I'm looking not just for death, but I'm looking for a difference at least. And then we repent. When we recognize that that has happened, then the very next thing that we are called to as Christians is to repent. Now, repent is the Greek word metanoia. You should know this one. We say this about every month. The Greek word, ready, one, two, three. Metanoia. Metanoia. It means turn around, or if we want to use our metaphor, it means pull over. If you can't see through your windshield and you're driving down the road at 70 miles an hour, you better get to the side or you're going to hurt yourself or someone else. That is what the nature of repentance is all about. I recognize that I'm going in the wrong way or I can't see through my windshield or my windshield has been clouded over and now it's time i got to get off this road for a second. And I need to pause and maybe find a mire. (laughs) Or I can find something to clean up that windshield. Second, after recognizing and repenting. These all start with R, by the way. I I do this so that I can remember them in hopes that you can remember them. The next one is to renew. After you recognize and repent, there there is a call to renewal. In In the second part of verse 16, he says, Repent then, if not... I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now let's, let's go to the, the really uh, pointy part. Not, no pun intended. Important. How does Jesus make war? With what? The sword of my mouth. What does that mean? I, I thought, I, I have a big, uh, my friends uh, bought me a prop from the Lord of the Rings. It's this giant five and a half foot sword. It hangs in my office. I thought about bringing it out here and trying to, you know, swing it around. Folks, Jesus uses metaphors too. The sword of my mouth means that I'm going to come and give him a good tongue lashing. You ever use that phrase? It means that I'm going to speak the truth to you. And sometimes the truth hurts. So I'm going to come to you. I'm going to make war on them with the truth, the words of my mouth that are sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide spirit, to get right down to the heart of the matter. Jesus says he's going to do this, to speak the truth. Now, this is just something I, I I noticed. Maybe I'm just weird. But did you notice it says, I will come to you soon? And make war against who? Them. Huh. That's interesting. I I just pondered over that. I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to make war against them. Not against the throne of Satan, but against the one who are not faithful witnesses. I'm going to come with my truth and I'm going to speak it. There, There may be what you call a good verbal tongue lashing. But I'm going to come and make war in Against them. What does this mean? It means that you and I, folks, we as a church, we have a connected responsibility for faithful witness. That there's a need for connection. We're going to get to that in just a second. But there is a responsibility within the church that we collectively have a faithful witness. That we don't want anyone for Jesus to come here to us and then have to go to them. Because we're called to be that witness and to invite them into that faithful witness. In other words, if we're going to go back to our, our driving metaphor, do you want to drive on the freeway with white, wiperless people? No. No. So we are called into this faithful witness to teach. And there's a connection of this. We don't celebrate because, well, I'm so faithful and they're not, so Jesus, (laughs) ha Go get them. No, we're in this together. We are called into the faithful witness. And that means, okay, so we renew. We get our wiper. We put it on. And then we look to make sure who else needs a wiper. We reconnect. Verse 17a says, we reconnect. He says, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You mean not to the individual? Not to the pastor? But to who? The churches. So that there's an important part that if we are going to recognize and repent, if we're going to renew, that there is a need for connection to the church. That this is important that it's in here that our ears are open to be able to hear what the Spirit says so that we can live out the faithful witness and show that difference in our world that holds up that mirror around to our society. This is our call. I know this this isn't a real uh, invigorating message today, but we're called into this, folks. And we're called to connect with the church. So I'll ask you, I'll ask you online, where are you connected? If you're connected here, that's great, but are you just connected for one hour on Sunday? Or or are you leaning into some other things? There, we have ways for you to connect with other people in the church so that we can live this faithful witness together. Are you a part of a service group like our youth group went last week and gave out hot chocolate and gloves to those who are in need downtown? We can be a part of things along those lines. Are you connected to a small group where you're learning to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? We have groups that meet. We have groups that meet online. One of the ways that I struggle every day is to think about how you folks online can connect to other people in order that we can live out this faithful witness. We have online groups, and I'm encouraging you now, go to our website and find a place to connect So that you can begin to have an ear for what the Spirit is saying to the church. A few more. Are you leaning in? Do we need to... Everybody go like this. Stretch up. Stretch forward. All right. There we go. Are you awake? Just a couple more. And then I'll send you off to get your food. Number four. We're called to remain faithful, folks. Folks. We're called to remain faithful. Look at the second part of verse 17. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. How do we conquer? This has been brought up every single week. We follow the one whom we are called to witness about, and that is Jesus. How did Jesus conquer? He was faithful to show the love, embody the mercy and the grace and the wholeness of God all the way to the cross. And if we are His witnesses then we are called to that faithful embodiment of God's love and mercy and hope and grace and wholeness and healing, even if it takes us all the way to death. We're called to be faithful. Let's think about our car metaphor. There are a couple ways you could take care of it if your wiper fell off. You could drive to the nearest gas station and you could go and get one of those free squeegees if it isn't frozen solid this time of year. And you could clean off your windshield and squeegee it off. And then you could get back on the highway. And probably five minutes later, you'd have to get off at the next one, find a gas station, find another squeegee, do the thing. And do you see where I'm going with this? To be faithful, would you rather have a squeegee in a gas station Or would you like to have your wiper repaired? You see, we believe in a God who supplies the needs of your life in your life. And that means that he can repair the wiper of your windshield so that as you are called to drive faithfully down the highway in your everyday life, you can clean that windshield to stay focused on him and be the faithful witness that he calls you to all the way to the end of the journey. And we believe that here. This is not about getting on a freeway, oh, I blew it, get off the freeway, clean the windshield, get on the freeway, get off the freeway, clean the windshield, get on the freeway, get off the freeway. No, we serve a God who will supply your every need that allows you to drive through the life He's called you to live as a faithful witness, clear-eyed and clear-sighted on who He's called us to be. That's good news. In fact, he goes on and and shows us that we can rely on him for this. That went to everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Again, here we are in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Hebrew story, the children of Israel were in the desert and they were hungry and there was a place where there was no food. And yet God every day supplied their need with manna, which is Hebrew for for the phrase, what is it? And they were able to gather it every day and it sustained them on their journey all the way to the end. The the first day that they were in the promised land was the last day that they ate manna. God will supply your needs for this journey. What he calls you to is to be a faithful witness. Last one we see, that Jesus sustains us in difficult times By giving us, he renames us. Here's one last difficult metaphor. I'll give you a white stone, and on that white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Aren't you blessed? Go in peace. This one, oh my goodness. It seemed like every commentary I read had a different understanding of what this meant. I'm not going to go through all of them. Everybody say thank you. But most of them mentioned that it was customary in that day as an invitation to receive a, a stone with your name on it. And as you were entering into the festivities of the party, you dropped your stone in the bucket and they could know who was there. And, uh, and, and you got to hold this nice white stone. Evidently in Pergamum, most of the stone was red or black. And so it kind of stood out if you had one. But I think that John, Jesus through John, would also be merging the fact that in in the Bible, names often reveal purpose. Like Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Abram, exalted father. Abraham, father of nations. That your name often gives purpose. So isn't it good to know that in the midst of all this life, with all the mists and things that can cloud our vision, we serve a God who can help us to recognize when we're off course, when we need something to clean the windshield. He can call us to repent. He can lead us to a place where we can renew and reconnect and rely on Him. And He's not done until you understand your name and your purpose. My friends, are you looking for a purpose in life? Are you wondering with all that's happened from 2020 to 2022, in all this craziness, where is my purpose? What do I need? What you need is a new name of Jesus, the faithful witness who calls you, calls us, and gives us a name that shows what his purpose is for you. You have only to lean into what he's calling you to. So folks, as we leave today, can I ask you a question again? How clear is your windshield? We don't have temples to other gods anymore. The big rocks are kind of off the freeway. What God wants to deal with us on is the mist. And I'm here to tell you today that maybe for some of us here, we're recognizing, and I know I said how clear is your windshield, but maybe I need to say how clear is our windshield. Are there some of the salty mist that's just beginning to blur? Are we recognizing that there's a need for something to come and clean that screen that we can see clearly and be a faithful witness I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes I want you to let the Holy Spirit ask this question to you how clear is your windshield think about your day how much time do you spend thinking about being the faithful witness of what Jesus was about? Or how much time do you spend on all those other things that we listed in the mist? If Jesus is coming to you right now, his call is recognize, repent. I have everything you need for the journey. You have only to receive it. Jesus, here we are, your church. And we hear this word to us today. And it's it's tough. Because the truth is, our highways are filled with this mist that blind us. And sometimes it can feel like our cars are wiperless. So we come to you right now and we ask you to help us recognize. We ask you, Father to give us what we need to clear the windshield that we can be clearly focused upon Jesus, clearly focused upon witnessing to Him and about Him through our words and through His ways to love, to be gracious, to be merciful, to be kind and joyous, to be filled with hope and to work towards the healing of our world. Jesus, help us today. We repent. We pull off the highway. We want to be renewed. Lead us into revival. Through this series, through a song, through our times of prayer. We don't care how you do it, but we know and we acknowledge our need for renewal today. Focus us and give us what we need, we pray. may our name be clear and our purpose be 2020 for we pray and we ask these things in your name Lord Jesus and everyone said Amen would you stand and receive this blessing my brothers and sisters As you travel down the highway and the windshield gets misty, may you hear the voice of the Savior calling, saying, pull over. I've got something for you. I can clean that windshield. I need you to be a faithful witness. I need you to drive down this highway clear-eyed, focus 2020 on what i'm calling you to i pray that you would then begin to experience the hope the joy the love the desire to renew to reconnect whether that's here on uh, in a church service or online in a small group and i pray that you would begin to be able to rely on jesus for everything and may you experience a new name That gives you a direct purpose. I pray this in the name of the Father who is for us. In the name of the Son who is with us. And in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us. One God forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for joining us online today. May God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities podcast. We hope you will join us next week. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website.